0: Welcome to It's a Good Life podcast, where it's all about helping entrepreneurs think, feel, and do better. I'm David Lally, and producer here at the podcast, and last week was part one of recession-proof your money. That's a topic everybody's interested in these days, no doubt. So today, I'm going to be your voice. I'm going to facilitate some questions that have come in from you guys. For the one and only, the handsome, the venerable, Brian Buffini. How are you, Brian?
1: I'm grand, Mr. Lally. How are you? It's nice to have you in here asking the questions. You know, people listen to that intro song all the time, and they don't realize that Lally and the band are behind that. So I think we have some of the best uh, bumper music in the biz. So I, I
0: just I have to
1: agree. <laughs> Soul really on would. iTunes at all times.
0: <laughs> Well, thanks, Bray. And uh, I i know myself and, and everyone on the team here is happy to be hearing more about this topic. Um, last episode out, for those of you who didn't uh, tune in, and there'll be repercussions <laughs> for that, of course, for those who didn't. He covered three things. There's a hole in the bucket, and he talked about uh, it's like uh, being at the worst casino uh, wh- inflation, the impact it can have. Then three tips to win in recessionary times. You talked about saving, growing, and investing. And then we talked to your finance guy, Mr. Ben Stewart. Ben talked about something that was really interesting. He said he's about building the ark, not about focusing on the rain. So, for the uninitiated or the initiated, for myself, what does that mean?
1: So, I think obviously that's a good answer for a finance guy. And, And Ben, I thought Ben did a great job. I mean, I loved where we went with that conversation. But his dynamic is like kind of what I'm trying to do, which is help people prepare. So he's like, okay, I'm going to help you build the ark, but I'm not going to ha- tell you when it's going to rain. So, like, when he got into predicting, like, he can't do what I'm doing. You know, he has series seven licenses and all this stuff. And so that's why I'm a little bit more free. I can give this advice. No one's suing me for whatever they want because it's just my opinion. Now, it's along with my opinions, kind of my reputation and good name. So I don't do it lightly. So, when he talks about preparing for the rain, like the recession's coming, but he can't tell you when. And he should never say when it's coming. Just like as a very wise financial advisor, he's never saying when the market's going down and when the market's going up. It's just like there's indicators that say the market could do this and the market. And nobody really knows. You I mean, no one knows what's going to happen when. And I'm certainly not going to say when. I've picked like a quarter or two that I believe this thing will be kind of when it'll start to show itself. And there's there's wiggle room for all because there's world events. You know, no one knew a few months ago Putin was going to invade Ukraine, even though Tom Clancy's been talking about it for 10 years, and the whole world seemed to be shocked by it. So preparing the arc, I think, is really recession-proofing. And I think, you know, Ben gave some great advice on that, and I think, you know, we're going to continue to give good advice on how to recession-proof your business. So, you know, taking the steps, and like we talked about, saving, growing, investing, that's preparing the arc. And then then here's the thing. If you prepare the ark, then it doesn't matter when it rains or how hard it rains. You're good to go, and that's that's what we're trying to do—to make people not be nervous and scared, but ultimately be prepared.
0: It was no, it's a great uh, great word picture for everybody. Uh, I, I felt um, that really resonated. He talked about three places, or, or you you guys both talked about three places that we should put our money. So he talked about a stock strategy, and he said that was fun. A bumpier ride was like the the rapids, right? The class three rapids. Uh, the real estate strategy, uh, which was real estate funds, and then a safe money strategy. So, you know, my first thought was, is there a percentage that's smart for all three? I don't even know where to start there.
1: So let's talk about it for a sec, Dave. You know, one of the things about low interest rates that everybody is excited about, and everybody's excited who's not on a fixed income. Like, if you're on a fixed income, and you got two things going on, you got inflation. Which means your ability to earn and grow is limited. And then you're looking at low interest rates. Now you're you're getting double hit. So at the very least, let's say, you know, inflation drops down to six percent, but you could get three percent on a one year treasury. Here's the good news you've filled half the hole in the bucket. Right? But it's better than nothing, right? It's better than losing six percent. It's it's like it's down to three, which is okay, that's kind of more manageable. And you do need some cash you know, Dave Ramsey talks about the rainy day fund. But to me, it's like, okay, Ramsey in his book, Total Money Makeover, he pushes people to get a thousand bucks first. And then after a thousand bucks, can you get one month's reserves? And then after one month's reserves, you know, which is your total expenses, can you get to three? And for me, six months is plenty. I like for an entrepreneur to have three months business reserves. And it takes a couple of years to get to that point. Now, once somebody starts cranking and really growing their business, and obviously we have a lot of resources and working by referral and coaching and training to get people well past what they were earning before if you maintain your budget you'll blow past these reserves and now you'll have some cash and now that you have some cash okay you're buying stock so he mentioned you know all of Ben's advice was index funds that were low fees I mean that's why he's an independent guy I mean that's very unpopular still on stock on the Wall Street but as I mentioned you know Buffett talked about Putting ten grand in an index fund after the war, and it was worth fifty one million after fifty or sixty years, whatever it is. And you put the same money in a gold; it's worth four hundred grand. So Ben mentioned a number of funds, and I would encourage people to go back and listen to that. Uh, If they want to get into more depth, they can give him a call or send him an email or whatever. But one of the things he talked about, and again, Ben and I, you know, I encouraged Ben to get into the business twenty five years ago, and he's taken to it like a duck to water. And now he's my guy, and he's been my guy for twenty years. You talk about his influences, and he talked about them. You know, Warren Buffett doesn't assess the success of an investment until after five years. Now, there has been a couple of occasions, and one recently when the COVID hit, that he he bought into an airline, he pulled out of it right away, because he was planning on building up his cash to buy a bigger position in stocks he really believed in. So if you have a stock strategy, you want to invest in companies or funds that you really like, what they do and how they do it. And then you go in and you buy more, you know, I, I, and again, I'm not, I'm not a stock guy and I'm not giving advice, but I, I have one of the funds I'm into is QQQ and I really like it. And, um, I like the way they approach business and technology and so on and so forth. Here's the genius of Brian Bovini. I'm buying a little bits all the time, but then I have a bunch of cash on hand and I have a bunch of cash on hand with Ben. And when the market, like you saw me during the covid when the stock market went and dropped below 18,000, I was on Facebook going, you know what I'm doing today? I'm buying stock. And you know what I'm going to do next week? I'm going to buy stock. And I bought it from when it was 29 and when it was 27 and it was 26 and when it was 24 and I bought it all the way down to 18. And then I bought it back up 20 and 21. I wasn't trying to just be the smartest guy in the room, but I knew there was good value there. So what did I buy? I buy more of what I already believed in. It's funny, I had a friend of mine called me up and said, if you wanted a quick return, what would you do? And I told him at the time, Boeing. Because remember, Boeing got hammered and their stock fell. I said, if you're looking to make money in the next three to four months, buy some Boeing stock. Now, the thing about him is, to me, that's not investing. You know, that's like getting a tip on a horse. And it's not even that risky, per se, Dave, you know, because, like, you know that that's going to come back. It's just there was an emergency and it was a crisis. But I, to me, I didn't buy any Boeing. I didn't buy it. And, and I wasn't giving the guy bad advice. As it would, he asked me a specific question, so I gave him the answer. I bought more of what I already believe in. I bought more of the funds and the index funds and the dividend funds. I bought the things that I already believe in, and I just doubled down when the market came back. That's why, like, the last two months, they're finding out Buffett's been investing billions of dollars during this reason. is an 18% pullback. The well, definition of a bear market is 20%. So we're right around a bear market. And Buffett's been buying. So I think stock strategy, it is bumpy. It is the fast pace. Now, if somebody's 75 years old, they probably are 80 years old, they probably shouldn't be investing too much in the bumpy ride. They should be going more with the more conservative dividend funds. So you have your stock strategy, you have your safe money, and then you have real estate strategy. And like you mentioned, there's, there's funds like Blackstone and people like that that are heavily invested in real estate. There's REITs and things like that. But then outside of real estate, Dave, like there's buying a single family home, there's buying a condo, there's buying multiple units. The highest percentage of millionaires in America made their money in real estate. And so buying real estate, buying out of state real estate, you know, doing all of that, all the above. It's good.
0: I saw a meme this morning. It was so good. It was a photograph of Buffett and he's drinking a can of Coke. And it has always surprised me when I see that. Like, you know, all the stories, he's still driving the same old car, living in the same house and all these things. But the guy uh, who posted it had commented below and he just said, if you believe that Warren Buffett really likes drinking Coca-Cola, you miss who he is. Warren Buffett has billions of dollars in Coca-Cola stock, which is why he's always drinking Coca-Cola. It's clever. It's true. Every time I see him, he seems to have one in his hand.
1: But um, Well, yeah, look, I went to the stock meeting in Berkshire Hathaway years ago. You had to buy a share. You know, I think the share was 60 grand at the time. And they take all the people to Dairy Queen. Because he had stock in Dairy Queen. No. You know, so he's a money guy, but he's also a promoter. And he also believes in what he believes in. Like, he bought a box of C's candies and got his soon-to-be girlfriend to go out on him with a date. Then she became his wife. And he realized, hang on a second here. Every time he wanted to buy our candies, he had to buy our C's. No way. And he started looking into the business model. And now he's the largest investor in C's candies. So he buys what he believes in. He uses a lot of mathematics but he also uses a lot of common sense. You said in that episode
0: that you take some of the stuff. I loved that. You were like, hey, this guy's really good at it. He's this full-time thing, so I do some of what he does. Are there particular things that you emulate? And I feel like you shared them there. I mean, you said, you know, get into stuff you like and
1: don't even look at it for five years. But are there what's, what's your top one or two? I mean, I've read dozens of books. His mentor was Benjamin Graham, and he wrote a book called The Intelligent Investor. And I read it. Now, I'm going to be candid. Like, the way he values a company and the way he understands value in a company, I can't quite get that. I, I kind of do, but I kind of don't. Because you know what? Warren Buffett probably couldn't stand in front of 5,000 people to mastermind and bring him to, he was just talking to me. So he's brilliant at what he does. And so what I get from Warren Buffett is his principles. Now, if you're all in on him, you could buy Berkshire Hathaway stock and leave it at that. That, that wouldn't have done you any, any harm in the last 30 years either. But he says this. Don't invest in anything you don't understand. So why do you think like when people come to me with all the Bitcoin stuff, and you've witnessed over the last 20 years, people come to me with everything under the sun. And I ask people all the time, so Brian, I, what should I do? I want to put a million dollars in the Bitcoin. Great, tell me what it is. Now I know what it is, but you tell me what you think it is. Now present it to me. Now sell it to me. And I'm, 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 And they always get down to, it's like I got a tip on a horse and I'm afraid of missing out. I had a conversation in our green room right here twelve months ago with a fellow who invested seventy percent of his money into Bitcoin at fifty eight thousand. And I said to him, You're invested in something that has the possibility of going to zero. Now, Bitcoin is probably the one that'll make it, but most of them don't. And you know what, three or four of them went out here a couple of weeks ago? It's because I'm fear of missing out. I want to get rich quick. I want it to be painless, and I just want to And by the way, when you invest in something really risky and it goes up, when the hell do you know to get out? You don't. So that's not investing to me. Buffett says, I only invest in what I know. That's the first thing. So if you look at his investments, they're very, very practical things. Second, he looks at it for the long term. So when he says, when people get fearful, I get greedy. And when people get greedy, I get fearful. He's a contrarian in that. He's not buying on the emotions. He's he's never investing out of fear. And then the third thing, is he's, he's doing it over the long haul, and he he analyzes most investments after five years. Now, here's the problem. You can check your stock 100 times a day, and it's not a good thing to do. You know, on here's puts and calls and shorts and this. And and the truth of the matter is, I mean, again, I don't want to paint this brush, but like Warren Buffett is not very complimentary of Wall Street brokers at all. Because if you look at it, he says it's the only place in the world where people who drive Rolls Royces take money advice from people who ride the subway. And a lot of it is about how making commissions and doing deals, and they're so caught up in it that they can't see the wood for the trees. And they lose perspective. They live in New York. They're, you know, New York is not the whole of America, and it's certainly not the whole of the world. So, you know, Ben talked about stock. Great. Getting into index funds. Real estate, you can either buy real estate yourself or buy funds with real estate, and then having some safe money Those are good strategies. Buffett talks about that. Benjamin Graham talked about that. It's just good. It's been around a long time. And by the way, on the Bitcoin thing, if people are interested, at his last shareholder meeting, both Munger and Buffett were asked about Bitcoin. And Munger, Charlie Munger, who's kind of the brains behind the operation, said, I wouldn't take all the Bitcoin in the world for $25. Ouch. Now, I didn't say that the number two in the greatest investment firm in the history of stock
0: investments at it. So there you go. In the last episode, you talked about a number that might be hard for, let's say, a rookie entrepreneur or a student coming out of college to get their head around, right? You gave an example of 10 million and it was 10 million after two years, it was a $1.6 million loss because of inflation, right? Which is brutal. And it's nice to see the scale of the numbers just to get the sense that, man, you almost lost 2 million in two years. But for someone coming out, let's say, as I said, of college or someone just starting a business, look at things like rent. Prices for rent are 1,600% higher today than they were in 1913. So that's a $16,000 difference in value. So that's clearly, that affects maybe people's confidence in doing things or being willing to take risks, especially for entrepreneurs listening to this show. Well, it's just hard to get ahead. Right. So what advice? Do you have for them, let's say, and they might not have much to put aside?
1: Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I started with putting $50 every two weeks aside. That's how I became a millionaire. And you've heard me tell that story before. You know, for me and my wife, when we first got married, we did our budget. And we found that after our first six months together, we were spending 106% of what we were making. And it's very easy to do. Why? Because that's a thing called credit cards. You know? And that's America's great. Hey, you want a brand new bed? Take it home today. Right. And I was like, this is the greatest country in the world. I don't have any money, but they let me take home a bed. Mm-hmm. And I don't have a sofa. You can take home a sofa today. You do have to make payments for years and years and years. And that $1,500 couch, by the time it's all paid off, is about five grand. <laughs> the first thing we did was, okay, we, we made a budget and we had to have the hard conversation with one another. And so we went from... Now, I'll be honest with you. You know, you know, for me, I've talked about 70, 10, 10, 10, you know, live on 70% of what you make, give away 10%, save 10%, invest 10%. That's a good formula. Well, when Bev and I first were making our cuts, Dave, we got to 97, 1, 1, 1. That's the truth. Still, it was from 106. Yeah. From 106. There were some things that had to be cut that were painful to cut. You know, I've been a golfer my whole life and I was a member of a local club and I was playing golf, and I was doing business there, and I could say, no, I'm meeting clients there, and we rationalize everything. But at the end of the day, I couldn't afford to be playing golf like that, so I had to cut it. Hey, you coming next Saturday? No. What about next Saturday? No, it's not looking too good either. (laughs) So I made the cuts, and then eventually made more cuts. And while I made cuts, I also went to work on myself, because it wasn't real expensive to buy the Richest Man in Babylon book. I think it cost me $6.95, the first financial book I ever bought. I learned more about money from that than most fellas do with an MBA. And that's the truth, because I've talked to thousands of them. I've heard right? I've heard that from you for twenty right. years. And and then the next thing I bought, the greatest salesman in the world, that might have cost me ten dollars. Okay. And and so next thing you know, while I was cutting my expenses down, I raised my income. And as these things started apart, I was fifty dollars every two weeks. And then it was a hundred dollars every two weeks. And by the way, it's kind of a scary thing. I was self employed, and you don't know when the checks coming in. But I said, I make the payment to the car, I make the payment to the house, so I'm going to pay myself first. Why? Because the richest man in Babylon said, a portion of all you earn is yours to keep. So then it went to $100 every two weeks. Then it went to $500 every two weeks. Then it went to five grand every two weeks. Then it went to ten grand every two weeks. Then it went to hundred grand every two weeks. Now, that's over decades. But it's the same principle. It's the same story. And here's what I'm going to say. You know, I give my sources. And Solomon, who was one of the richest men who ever lived, wrote a book in the Bible called Proverbs. And he says, you got to be faithful with the little to be given much. If you can't save the 50 bucks every two weeks, you'll never be saving the 100 grand every two weeks. And just so you know, it's easier to spend the 100 grand than it is the 50. So if you can't be faithful with the little, you'll never have much. So you start with where you're at. And then what I would do, like I've talked about, okay, here's the budget. This part I'm going to save, this part I'm going to give, this part I'm going to invest. That's the formula. And then over time, get motivated then to go and create some more, earn some more, do whatever. You know, one of the beautiful things about the world we live in today is you can have a side hustle. So if you use a side hustle, and I've I've used this analogy before, but I have a contractor that I I helped get him his papers when he came to America, and uh, he works every Saturday. His Saturday money has kept aside into an investment. So whatever he makes on a Saturday, he just invests. So Monday to Friday is what is for his family and his lifestyle and everything else. And over a 10-year period of time, for him. by the way, he bought Apple 12 years ago. He bought Netflix. He bought Tesla. And then, wow. you know, last month he called me up because he just bought eight apartments in Phoenix. That's fantastic. Okay. That With Saturday fantastic. money. And he started out as he was a handyman. He was a handyman. So it doesn't matter where you start. When I was in real estate, I remember helping. I had two lawyers. And this is back, you're talking about 1990. And they are both making 300 grand a year. And they couldn't afford a condo because they were spending everything they were making and then some, and up to their eyeballs in debt. So it doesn't matter where you start. You got you to gotta go back to the basics, spend less than you earn, and then try to increase your ability to earn and then start stocking that money away, have a safe fund, have a real estate fund and have a stock fund.
0: Uh, that's great. I mean, I've been on the road with you and this company for 20 years. Life sentence. Some might say, <laughs> I didn't even do anything. Um, <laughs> but uh, I well that's I remember true. Uh, you know the early days of being behind the sales table and signing people up for coaching, and they're still in coaching all these years later, and the first thing the coaches would work on was budget most of those people who, if they're getting a coach, probably are looking saying, "I need help." And they started always with the budget, which is wild to me. I just assumed that business owners had that. They just <laughs> have that dialed, no worries. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: Well, look, we ran an event here a couple of weeks ago, Peak Experience. And we had a thousand people, you know, on a sold out event that sold out a year in advance. The next year's already sold out. And there's a huge percentage of that audience are millionaires. And none of them were millionaires when we met them. None of them, right? And we, we could fill that ballroom up many times over with people we've helped become millionaires. And uh, you remember when RTE, the Irish Television Network, came out and they did a special on me, and they were going to call the special on me The Millionaire Maker. And uh, because, you know, it's 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 none of this is rocket science, right? It's simple. It's simple. You, you, you spend less than you make. You work hard to earn more. You put it aside. And then when you put it aside, you start investing it into things that appreciate and things that go up Stop in value, making it including, including so yourself.
0: Simple. Come on. Yeah, right. It's there more you complex than, oh, no. There's no Irish (laughs)
1: space program, David. This is the best we got.
0: I got to ask you a tactical question because I have a feeling our listeners and certainly our our clients, our coaching clients, want to know something like this. You said earlier, you know, Ben's your guy, you call him up, he has cash on hand, and then you buy stocks. Do you use uh, technology for that? Do you get online or do you kind of, do you like to let him do that? You call him with what's on your mind or... How do you make those yeah. small adjustments?
1: So, I mean, we're buying stock all the time, pretty much. There's times when it's, you know, when things are getting goofy, where we, you know, he'll send me a text and go, "Hey, do you want to want to pause for right now?" I'll say, "Yeah, let's let's thing cool down for sixty days here." Things are getting carried away, right? And then when there's times like I say, when there's precipitous times, for example, he uses a technology where we have orders in when okay, this goes pulls back by three percent or four percent or five percent, so we have a bunch of purchases already in the queue if this happens then then it's automatic right but then what happens is during unusual times when people start losing the lunch and getting scared or when people are manipulating the market which happens as well by the way we'll just buy more and again you get all the stuff and all these experts and don't catch a falling knife and all this stuff i don't give a rip i don't give like i watch the the shows in the morning sometimes it's like hysterical to me some of the stuff they're talking about and i can tell you this you know warren buffett Averaged 19% rate of return since 1952. I'm gonna tell you this, Ben Stewart and I have been 20 years, we've averaged 17%. Not bad. Wow. And I'm not I'm not in Warren Buffett's class, but we've done pretty well. And so coming up the outside. Yeah, and here's the thing. And I've done better in real estate. So the bottom line is know what you believe, know why you believe it. This is what I'm doing. Get good advice and then stick with it. And then stick with it. And don't get caught up in the fear. And don't get caught up in the news, you know? Oh, that's awesome, man.
0: I have a, a kind of a mix of questions that came in on social media. And also, we're using this new technology where uh, people can go to speakpipe.com slash it's a good life. Just you click a button and you record your question and it'll come into us. So we're going to try nice. it out today for the first time. Okay, very cool. That. And Brian is always uh, very generous <laughs> with allowing us to do it live. on air. Thanks for that. So the first one is Deanna Bone uh, in Arizona. So Danny, over to you.
1: Hi, Brian. This is Deanna Bone from sunny Arizona. And our buyers are very concerned that Arizona will see the same thing as we did in 2007. I know I just heard you say that in 2007, it was more like a depression. And today is more of a recession, which is really true. Um, what do you think is the best advice that we could give to our buyers? And at the same time, give them hope that our state will not see the same thing that we did back then. Great question, Deanna. And I would say, look, and and one of the things that's hard is, um, you know, they say a liar will get halfway around the world before the truth has its sandals on. You know, lies really sell. They sell newspapers and magazines. They sell clickbait and they sell 24-hour news cycle. And that's the truth of it. So what do we know that's different between 07 and 08 recession and what we might be facing now? Well, first of all, what categorized 07, basically the government allowed underwriters to basically loosen their requirements for getting a loan. Okay? So we went from 20% down payments to 10% down payments to zero down payments. So you had low down payments. What's the contrast with now? Well, we've just been through the last three to four years, the highest percentage of down payments on property in history and the highest percentage of all cash offers in history. And you know that well, if you're in the practice in Arizona, you did a lot of all cash deals. By the way, here's a tip. Here's great Irish wisdom, David. This is probably in the Mount Belieu Galway Hall of Fame quotes. They can't foreclose on a property when there's no bleeding loan. And they're not going to be foreclosed on property when there's big equity. Even if someone gets in trouble, they have enough equity to get out of it. So that's the first thing. Second of all, 07 08 was based on adjustable rates. The whole thing was based on adjustable rates. And even the way, the, the reason this became such a catastrophe is people were getting rates at like 2% when the rate was about 4 to 5. And then the mortgage said, oh, this rate could go from 2 to 8. So you had this starter intro. And what was happening is people refinancing every six months to keep getting the starter rate. And the cost of the refi, we're getting jacked onto the value of the property, so they're burying the cost on the basis that everything appreciates and real estate only ever goes up. So then you had the stock market took those mortgages and put them in a, an instrument called derivatives and then traded them at the higher interest rate, which no one was ever going to pay, and sometimes at 15 times earnings. Can't imagine what's wrong with that. So you had these 2 to 8% rates, oh no, these things are really 8 and then we're going to trade them at 15 times earnings, can't understand why the Bank of Iceland and the Anglo-Irish banks are in trouble. So that is just in a cliff notes how nonsensical all that was. Well, what do we know about the contrast with right now, Deanna? It's all fixed rates. And by the way, now the rates are fixed at 2 and 3 and 4%. So now not only did you have low down payments and adjustable rates, now it's high down payments or all cash and low fixed rates. Completely the opposite. You had high inventory and speculative building in 2004, 5, 6, and 7. And now we have low inventory and low construction. So we have supply and demand issues. We still don't have enough properties. We had speculative buyers. A great example of that. We had 40% of the properties that were purchased in 2006 were non-owner occupied. Now we don't. And that's people who are buying second homes or investment properties. And they're buying investment properties without really much VRBO at that time, by the way. So now you're really extended. But people took a second mortgage on their primary home to go buy a vacation home. Oh, we love Hawaii. Mm. And there wasn't a lot of ERBO and all that stuff available. Now what we have is institutional investors like Blackstone. Ben mentioned Blackstone. They own 20,000 single family homes. Like institutional investors never bought single family. They only ever bought commercial. And there's a number of funds now that buy single-family homes. Now, unfortunately, that squeezes out a lot of first-time buyers, but it also brings tremendous stability to the marketplace. The Blackstone's not going to let 20,000 homes go into foreclosure. They got more money than the U.S. government, you know, so they're not going anywhere. So what do you need to do? You need to tell your folks, hey, we're doing good. It's completely the opposite. It's a completely different deal. Arizona's in a low-tax, low-regulation area, and we have good weather nine months out of the year, spoken like a San Diegan. So I think that's the big thing is uh, you have to compete with all the noise that's out there. But everything I just said, when you communicate that to a client, they'll know you're a voice of value. And Deanna, so you know, we're going to continue to provide items of value and marketing pieces for you to send to your customers that are rooted in this kind of financial wisdom so that people aren't jumping to conclusions and they can stay in their homes and not be fearful.
0: I was just going to say that everything you just riffed on there is like a white paper. Yeah. I mean, seriously, in just answering her question, that's a great description of the 2008 bubble, by the way. I think I finally understand it. <laughs> I now want a description of Bitcoin, though, and the same using the same analogy. <laughs> Kate Johnston in Washington, love this question. Uh, hi, Kate, thanks for uh, sending it in. What's the good news of a recession? It's time to do what?
1: So, great question, Kate. And as I mentioned in the Recession Proof Your Business episode, you know, a recession's recession is a terrible thing to waste, and a lot of good things for business happen because of a recession. It increases the value of a customer, service goes up, you know, there's just a whole bunch of things get healthy because of a recession. And the same thing with financial, and it just, it clears out the weeds. You know, all the speculation tends to get thrown out, all the different risky get-rich-quick stuff tends to get blown out, and all the goofy businesses tend to get blown out. And again, there's hardship with all of that, but at the end of the day, this really helps us get better. So. Basically, I, I'd say this, in San Diego, Kate, I know you're up in Washington, it rains all the time, we don't get a lot of rain. But when it does rain in San Diego, we get a heavy rain, and you come out the next day, the roads are all clean, the air smells great, it takes a couple of days for the ocean to figure a few things out, but like after rain, everything clears out. And that's what the recession's like. It clears out a lot of junk, takes a few days to get over it, then it's good. So recession-proof your business, recession-proof your finances, build the arc. One day the rain's going to come and you're going to be plain sailing.
0: Love it. Poetry. Uh, the, you know this, this is a kind of a, a connected question in a way. Bruce Wexler, uh, Bruce, I hope I get your name right there, in Colorado asked, when should we expect a significant market impact from forbearance listings? What do you think that impact will be?
1: Yeah, it, it should be right about now. It should be right about now. And um, again, it's still not a huge percentage of the market, but these are people who, use the forbearance laws. They didn't make their payments. Their payments were tacked on to the end of their mortgage. They still have to move. They still have equity, most of them. But that stuff is starting to show itself up now. And it won't It will be a flood. It'll be more of a trickle. I know we're using water analogies here. You're going to start to see it. And so you need to, you know, if you're in a state where you have title companies, ask your local title rep to help you out, give you notices on when the forbearances are coming on the market.
0: Great stuff. Thanks, Bray. Uh, Kelly Court in, in Northern California has a question, and this is another audio question that came into us. Good morning, Good Life podcast team. Thank you so much for this awesome podcast. Brian, here's my question. How long do you think this recession is going to last, for one? And where do you think the media is going to exploit it to create fear in the masses? Would love to hear your insights on that. And how do we counter that fear? with our database and those we love the most. Thanks so much.
1: That's great. I like it. That's great, Kelly. I appreciate that. I like that uh, technology. What's what's it called? Speakpipe.com slash it's a good life.
0: S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash it's a good life. And we'll give a heads up on the social media channels of what the next topic is so you can call in and leave your question.
1: That's good. Sound quality is good too. And I love hearing from Kelly. Great question. So I'd say this, uh, you know, as I mentioned in the coming recession episode, the typical recession in the last, whatever, 20-some years was uh, 11 months. Now, So here's the dynamic on recessions. They can often be short, but they have a tail. So the recession itself is the economic indicator. So it's one to two negative quarters, that kind of thing. And then it, it has an impact. And again, I don't think this is going to be super deep, and I don't think it's going to be super long. And what it will do is going to take the steam off the real estate business and the mortgage business and the car buying business. Now, the one area I don't see it taking the steam off for right now is rents. And that's the one that concerns me probably the most in regards to current lifestyle, because people are getting priced out of homes and they're getting priced out of apartments, working people. And so that is a sketchy deal. And that's where inflation, then those folks keep coming back and looking for more money to be able to pay their rent. And then that creates escalation. So that's where the problem will be. You ask a great question, Kelly, because there's nothing new in this. So, you know, since media has existed, media headlines of newspapers were designed to grab your attention and grab your attention in such a way that you would purchase their newspaper. And then we got into the 80s and 90s and we'd have the magazines at the counter when you're checking out of the grocery store, you know, and Martian meets a Kardashian, you know, or whatever the heck it is. Well, that's going on now electronically. The problem is it's going on 50 times a day. And, you know, I've seen some numbers on how often we check our phones and whatnot. And it's wild. I, You know, sometimes I'll fall for the clickbait on even trusted services. And the, the story can often be quite mild, but the heading is kind of dramatic. And you go, hang on, this that was no big deal. So the bottom line is, it is now a constant. So what we have to be is a voice of value in the marketplace. You need to be a voice of value to your customers, your family, your friends. And that's why I'm going to implore everybody in our database everyone we coach, everyone we train, all the resources we provide. To say, okay, here's the contrast. Here's here's recessions, here's how long they last, here's how long they don't. Here's what they do, here's what they don't do. Here's what happens in the market, here's what's going on with real estate, here's what's going on with mortgages, here's what's going on with inflation. And at the end of the day, people appreciate a true voice of value. You know, in their heart of hearts they know. They know when they're being fearful. You know, you know when you're reacting to something. You just want to hear, "Okay, I want to hear some common sense." Like what I just answered, Deanna. It's like, okay, she's a smart realtor, been around forever. She probably knows everything I just told her. That's like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's the same reaction uh, Kelly's clients are going to have. And when you hear truth, you know it. Oh, that's right. High down payments, fixed rates. No down payments, adjustable rates. Oh, yeah, that's right. And people need to know. That's why our marketing, our communication, our interactions, we have to become educated, and we have to become a voice of value in the marketplace. And that's really a key component. There's nothing you're going to do to stop the media. I mean, I learned that years ago in a recession in the early 90s where a bunch of brokers in San Diego started petitioning the San Diego Union because the San Diego Union, the one major newspaper we had in town, its major form of advertising income was real estate because we used to be on the Sunday papers and Saturday papers, all real estate ads. So the realtors were paying more money to the San Diego Union than anyone else. And then during the week, The San Diego Union was writing these blistering stories about the catastrophe of the coming recession on San Diego real estate. And we're like, hang on a second here. We're paying you all this money to run ads. And then your journalists are writing these absolutely out-of-the-world exaggerated stories that are freaking out the very people who are paying you. Well, that's, that's the media. And that never changes and that never will change. And especially now where there's no accountability for them. So the bottom line is, if you're waiting for the media to get positive and write good stories, good luck with that. The only thing you can affect is the pond that you are in yourself, your own clients, your own customers, your own family, your own relationships. Be a voice of value. That's what I'm doing. Like, here's the thing. I have 500,000 people listen to us every month, Dave. I don't have 50 million. I don't have 500 million. All I can do is affect the people we have and try to provide value for them, help them out, and hopefully it helps them out in their life and their business and they can do the same for their customers. Voice of
0: value, steady as she goes non-trending right non- whatever's <laughs> trending we should look the other way our friend scott stratton has unmarketing. yeah uh, right scott is up in toronto but um that's awesome brian yeah it all makes sense uh, i mean it's the reason a lot of those people that we heard from today are in the coaching program for what is it heading on two decades they're also doing life apparently for something they didn't do stuck, stuck with you yeah right <laughs> Thanks for this uh, fantastic stuff. I got so much from it, and uh, I know I'll be listening to this one and probably will regret the many questions I didn't ask that, I, that uh, maybe we do another follow-up because it feels like there's so much more to go there. There's a hole in the bucket, winning in recessionary times, and hearing from Ben Stewart. It was all fantastic stuff two days ago, and thanks for the follow-up today. Over to you to say adieu.
1: Yeah, it's good stuff, Dave. I appreciate it. This was fun and uh, great. Look forward to more questions from people. I- Give us your feedback. Tell us what you think. We enjoyed today. If they didn't enjoy it, Dave, we did. So that's good. So let us know if you want to ask more questions, if you want to come in, if you want to use the technology to ask a question or use social media or send us an email. Love to hear from you. And if you want more of your questions answered, we're happy to do it. I love doing this stuff. We love to coach you up. We want to help you. And uh, like I say, recession's coming, but nothing to be scared about. We just need to build the ark, and then when the rain comes, we're sailing great. So anyhow, the woman who's been a North Star for me as I've sailed my boat for my whole life has been my mother Therese. When you're thinking about recessions, and you're scared, and you're nervous, and the clickbait news is going on, think of the little Irish blessing in my mother's voice. That should calm you down like it does me, and uh, I think a lot of people like this. So maybe pretend like this is the first time you're ever hearing the Irish blessing, and uh, when you think about the recession, think about this.
0: May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next
1: time.